Uh, this morning, um, a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, sure, we went around any morning. Um, I was raised in Church of Christ. I was, my mother was, uh, was baptized when I was, I think, one year old. So I'm used to Church of Christ terminology. Some of you might have come to it later, so, so you might not be familiar with Church of Christ terminology. But if you were raised in it, then I'm going to say some phrases that, that you will go, I've heard that one. Right? Um, have you ever heard of the phrase, we have no creed other than the Bible? Right? That's, a, that's a very classic which is kind of a creed in and of itself, but that's a, a little irony there. Um, we speak where the Bible speaks, and we're silent where the Bible is silent. Heard that one? And um, the one kind of we're going to talk a, bit, a little bit about today, <clears throat> excuse me. You might have heard this one. We do Bible things Bible ways, and we call Bible things by Bible names. You ever heard those? Has anyone heard? Okay, so we got some of those. There's others. Um, but those are some of the ones that I grew up hearing. And, uh, and I'm not saying that those are bad ideals, right? Um, but um, we have prided ourselves, I suppose, and pride, maybe that's a bad word, but uh, we have kind of, it's been an identity that. Uh, we attempt to restore things to the original, what it sort of looked like, with the exception that we don't meet in tombs for church service on a resurrection morning. Right? We, don't, we don't go into the catacombs. Right? And, and we have a nice church building. We don't meet in upper rooms and things like that. But for the most part, we try to do some, some things that, and look like what we would call the early church or the, the first church. We hear that phrase a lot. Um, what this means in, in some other ways that, that we might do things is we might point to church structure and organizational structure, both internally and then how, how a congregation might uh, connect to another church. And, and remember, this, this is a part of a series where we're talking about kind of going back and trying to be closer to God. And so, so this is a part of the identity is, is, is trying to get close to what God models is, is hopefully going to help us get closer to what, what God is and who God is. Uh, so, so we talk about leadership and the way proper leadership works and, and, and how congregations are connected or shouldn't be connected. Uh, in uh, maybe one we don't do quite as well, but we do try to say, well, we're going to peel away some of the traditions, and sometimes in doing this we create, we create new ones. Um, but uh, but we, we try to, you know, really, what are all these things that, that we've, we've accumulated over the, the centuries, and are these really vital, and are, are, they, are they original? And, and uh, so, uh, speaking of those catacombs, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know the symbol of the fish. People, people have no idea where the symbol of the fish is. Does anybody know the story of the fish? So some of you know the story of the fish, where, where it really wasn't a magical thing. It was just uh, the fish in the catacombs, because you can get lost there, it would point the way to where church service was on Sunday morning. It was like a trail marker. That's all it was. It, it didn't have a special holy meaning, and it was the, 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 the apostles didn't go, you know, someday they're going to have cars. And, uh, and they're going to need bumper stickers for those cars. We've got to come up with something. It, 
in doctrine, we, uh, we try to separate out matters of, we'll hear this, matters of salvation. You hear that phrase a lot. Um, met with varied success because we're still human. But even without a centralized authority, it's interesting that having gone around the country, I think I counted, I tried to count this week, I think I've been to church, a church service in 30 states. And that's, that's just a function of, uh, of, of being a missionary, coming back and visiting, sponsoring churches. Um, and uh, it's amazing how actually similar I mean, there's differences, different flavors and things like that. But, uh, but without a central command and, a, and a, an authority top structure, how similar things really are. It is kind of, it is kind of a testament to, to, the, to the idea of trying to be original, trying to look at the scripture, that, that people will come to a fairly common idea if that was our goal. If, if we did try to strip away tradition, try to strip away all that and get close to God, if we were all getting closer to God, how much closer we would, with each step, start coming to each other. And so our topic today, we're going to go back to our text, John chapter 4, verse 21 through 24. Jesus said to a woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. And the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we talked about the truth aspect of this. And, and so we're going to talk about worship in spirit. And before we can do that, we're going to have to uh, look at one idea when, uh, when the word spirit is used a lot, and it means a lot of different things. Uh, and it's important in context to, to look at what things are being contrasted to it. It helps you understand things. So, so like, for example, this is a completely unrelated topic, but, but in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, he says he's made us uh, sufficient to be ministers of a, a new covenant, not of the letter. That is, the covenant is not of the, in the letter, but in the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So, so we'd understand by context that spirit is being contrasted with letter. And so the idea is he's not referring just to because we see the word spirit doesn't mean he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and if you have a, a Bible, that, that's, a lot of them will be capitalized there, leading you to believe that that's the Holy Spirit. Understand that, that our, your Bible, when it was originally written, had no capital letters. That's, that's, that's an interpretation somewhere. Someone wanted to lead you to the idea that that's the Holy Spirit. But by context, he's saying here that, that the Spirit is in contrast to the letter. In other words, he's, he's talking about... The, the rigid idea, we've talked about rigid rules and things like that, and he's talking about beyond the rule, the, the concept underneath the covenant. And so, so it's not talking about the Holy Spirit itself, himself. Well, in our text, uh, a similar thing occurs. He says, God is spirit, okay, so there is a Holy Spirit, but he says those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so, so, so truth is connected to spirit. In other words, is a concept, and there's a contrast of two different means. And we talked about that, that here Jesus is not focused on the what of worship. Jesus is not focused on 
the form of a worship, but he's focused on the how of worship. And the first one we talked about was how in truth. The second one is how in the spirit. We talk about being spiritually. We, we devoted uh, much of, of last year to, to these sermons. So I want to talk about the idea of spirit worship, worship in spirit. We hear a lot of this word today, specifically today. And, 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 and leading up to today, this last week, we've heard the passion. You'll hear that. You ever wonder about that word? It's a, it's a, I always wonder, it's like, that's a weird phrase. I mean, we're so used to it in religious lingo, right? But it's kind of a weird word to talk about the crucifixion week, the passion of the Christ. That's weird. Uh, so I always wanted to, to, you know, figure this out. And of course, I've, I've, I've come to this earlier. You know, you go through Bible college and they tell you what words mean and all that. And you forget half of what you studied or more. But this is an interesting concept. It is a deep idea. But when you think of the word passion, you, you might think of a lot of different things, right? When we typically use this word in our everyday language, we'll, we'll talk about doing something with passion, right? We, like with your effort and, and with your energy. And that's why when I hear the passion of the Christ, the energy of the Christ, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I could get there, I suppose, in my brain. But it's not a natural thought that I would have. I'd have a lot of other thoughts about the week of the crucifixion and the, you know, and, and the suffering and the trials. and all. I would have a lot of different things before I came to energy. Or desire. Maybe. And so, and maybe you've had these thoughts yourself. Maybe you've looked them up. Hebrews 2, 9 through 12 says, We see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified have one source, and that is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you, I will tell of your name to my brothers, and in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. The word passion is a Latin word. Of course, the Bible is written in Greek, so it's not really compatible necessarily. But the word passion just means suffering. Now you're really confused. <laughs> what does passion, what, what does suffering have to do with energy? Well, I do something with all my suffering. That makes no sense to me. How did we get there from there? And then, to make it even more bizarre, how does the word suffering have anything? Well, maybe this is not. Maybe, maybe. How does that become a romantic word? Maybe some of you are saying, I can make the connection. If, if, if you don't understand, let me make the connection for you. A friend of mine, uh, I, was, I was staying with a, a family, a preacher uh, and his, his family, uh, for college, um, and and the the daughter at the time, she's a couple years older than me. She was dating a guy who lived in New York, 
and uh, it was fall. I was Massachusetts. All right, so fall, you get a nice day, like, like today's like, oh, that, that first kind of, well, this was like one of those last days where it's nice weather. And so he wanted to see his girlfriend. Look, Kirk was a motorcycle rider. He had a Honda CBR, really nice bike. And he zipped down, as a, made a two-hour trip in about an hour and a half from Troy, New York, down to Worcester, Massachusetts to see his girl in a nice... Saturday morning, beautiful day. Well, he had work Monday morning. So he made a not-so-New England weather, being what it is, he made a not-so-nice trip back to New York on a Saturday night after we all went out for pizza and everything. So it's like 10.30 at night, and it was nasty, drizzly weather. He wasn't really dressed for it because it was a nice day when he left. He got home. He told us this later. He got home and just honked the horn till the horn died. And his mother, now Kurt was a bodybuilder, it, like a man's man kind of guy, right? And uh, sitting on a motorcycle crying. He couldn't get off of his motorcycle. He was frozen to it. His mother had to come out, this little old lady, had to come out with buckets of slightly warm water and thaw him off of his bike. And now you know the connection between romance and suffering. <laughs> what men will do for their passion, right? This is the connection. This is the passion. Right? And we see in this story here, this much more extreme devotion of a Christ for the one he loves, for his bride. And he comes and says, I'm going, I've got to make a trip. <coughs> for the one I love, the passion. Now, when we speak of, when we speak of this, we so often, we emphasize the injustice of it. And it was unjust that the trials were unjust. I mean, I did a, a, a sermon, I think, a while ago, in, or a class, I can't remember, it was a couple of years ago, and just went through every illegal thing in the trial. There's like a couple dozen of them. All the way down through, just that, that one week, there's so many illegal things happening. And we focus on the injustice of it. And, and we look at it almost as a thing that shouldn't have happened. That wasn't right to happen. And we focus on that nature. And I want to bring out one thing in here. He says, it was fitting. What? That is so contrary to my idea. He says, it was fitting. It was proper for Jesus to die. No, it wasn't. That was unjust. No, no, no. That's not the... Yes, it was unjust. And yes, people did horrible things and they lied and they, there was all sorts of awful things that they did to pervert justice. But from Christ's perspective, it was fitting. This plan was not an injustice. The, the, the plan of God was not an injustice to Christ. It was fitting. Why 
was it fitting? It was fitting because we were the object of his desire. And he was the stronger one. It's always fitting for the stronger to suffer for those that they desire and have this attraction for. How many fathers have gotten up and gone to very difficult labor? They do so happily. The people that went down into coal mines and all the awful things that people do to earn a salary for why? To put food on the table for those they love. It's fitting. It's not right. Make a union. It's fitting. Yes, it's unjust. But it's still fitting. And those same strong men come home, go to sleep, and pretend that they can't hear the kid crying at three in the morning, and then the strong mother gets up and stays up with a sick kid out of passion, out of desire, and and sacrificing well-being, comfort, and all sorts of things that we will do, crazy, nonsensical things that we would not do in any other part of society, or, but why? Because we have this deep connection and we have this great desire. We have this great passion. And it is fitting. It's not unfitting. It's not a tragedy. The same chapter at the end, he says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a propitiation for the sins of the people. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And this adds to that element of it being fitting. That there was a why here. He looks at us, interestingly, not as a a father or mother, but as a protective brother. Um, I've been volunteering with Healing Hearts for about a year you deal with all sorts of loss and um, and sometimes you find relationships that aren't what they're supposed to be you have grandparents raising grandkids that's we think of as not fitting right that's not fitting that's not right difficult situation you have you have aunts and uncles that kind of have to be a father or a mother figure. Why? Because there's somebody absent. And we, we get put into these roles to do things. And, and, and here Jesus is the creator of us, and yet he's kind of, uh, he calls himself a brother. Doesn't call himself a father. Interesting. Interesting role changes. But whatever the case is, it's, it's out of his passion. And so, the first idea of worship in spirit is passion, the suffering. The second idea is an attitude. He says, oh come, David writes, oh come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. We want to talk about an attitude. And we are going to go back. I've said that we're not really going to focus on it, but um, 
Every once in a while, we're going to talk about expressions of worship as it illustrates something. This is for those who like that phrase, to do things in Bible ways and call Bible things, Bible words, and all that terminology that we use. Just keep that somewhere in the back of your mind. I have been to one church in my life that... uh, that even came close to this verse. I mean, talking about the expression of worship. It wasn't even church service, it was a wedding. And uh, I was at a Catholic church. They even make a nice, comfortable piece of furniture for you, which is nice. Uh, I don't know how many times during that wedding I got down and up, right? But it was a few. And let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. It's the only time I've ever been in a church. Now, we like to stand and sing. We like that one. And, and, and if, if a song has the word stand in the lyrics, we're going to say, let's stand and sing. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. I'm standing on the promises, and I, I know we're going to stand. Because it's in the lyrics. <laughs> Kneel at the cross. I've never kneeled at the cross in this church. Never once. Never done it. Barry's never. Travis, David's not here today. I don't think David's ever done it. Mark has never done it. Do we call Bible things Bible ways? Now that's the word kneel. There's uh, three different words here. We're going to talk about worship, but we're going to work backwards to it. Okay? So we're just going to start with the word kneel. I've been to another service that got a little closer. And I was in Istanbul. And I was visiting. I visited a couple of... While I had time, I came and visited some of their... I did some tourism. They have a blue mosque, and they have one called the Hagia Sophia. Um, and I saw this four times a day, beginning in the morning. You got a in a hotel room. You got a loudspeaker right into your window. Oh, you can't get away from it. That's to bow, by the way. That's to bow. I've never seen that. Not in America. I've only seen that in a, in a mosque. That's closer to worship. I've never been anywhere, 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 anywhere that worships. I mean, we worship. But we don't worship. So I can't put a picture up here for you because I've never been anywhere. I, I've searched the internet. I couldn't find it. No pictures exist of worship. Why don't you read that? Because this is worship. This is worship. Now imagine if every time we sung a song to worship, we did this. I bow down and I worship you, Lord. That, that's worship. 
Now, who wants to do Bible things Bible ways? Who wants to call things by Bible names? Or do we understand that there's an idea? What we'd call a heart of worship, right? It's not about the expression. It's not about the form. It's never been about the form. That's the entire point of John, this text, where a person wants to get into a debate with him about the forms and where we do things and and how we do things. And he says, that's not not the discussion. It's about a heart of worship. It's about an attitude. Jesus worshipped. He fell on his face and and cried out. But, But in that text... What do you read? Not my will, thine be done. That's the heart of worship. That's the attitude of worship. It wasn't about what he did in the garden and what it looked like. So if we want to get closer, we have to develop the heart of worship. Yeah. If you want to perform it literally, it's not going to hurt. I'll bet you that it would create an environment that you're not used to. And sometimes a physical expression, there's a reason that it's a physical expression. Sometimes there's a reason the Bible uses the word because it kind of goes with it. But there are, these are the ideas of the heart of worship to suffer I've seen that before this is to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law but that which comes through faith in Christ a righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings it's fitting in other words becoming like him in his death that if by any means possible any means possible Possible. I've got to find a way to do this. I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I want to get close to him. How uh, how am I going to get close to him? Well, I'm going to have to do the things, similar at least, that he did to get close to me. Am I connected to his passion? Well, how have I suffered? For my desire. It doesn't mean that I have to actually literally. I mean there are people and places in this world. That today. Are nailing themselves to crosses. That's not what he's intending here. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about the heart. Of worship. Let me define it differently. Have this mind in yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account, account equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but he emptied himself. And he took the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and 
being found in that human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The word humble and the word humility and the word humiliate are the same word. Humble and humility sound nice. Humble yourself. None of us would say, humiliate yourself. But that's exactly what it is. I was extremely embarrassed doing what I did. I thought about it the whole night. Like, I'm going to do this? <laughs> like, that's weird. I know I embarrassed three kids over here. <laughs> it's humiliating. We, it's just why, that's why we stand and sing. No humiliation there. We might bow head and pray. That's okay. We don't go any lower than that. Because it's humiliating. It's not natural. That's why no one in the world, not a church, not a religion, falls on their face in worship. It's too humiliating. We'll bow, I'll get down. That's the closest I'm going to go. And how many denominations do that? None. Not once in Christianity will you see that. How far down is humbled? How far down is humiliated? It is all the way down. That's what Christ did. He says he emptied himself. Emotionally, he emptied himself. He didn't go halfway down. He didn't say, listen, human is low enough, I'll be a rich human. That's that is as far as I'm going. That would have been a step down. That would have been a big step down. But he went all the way down. In his heart. In order to yield to the Father. So I'm only going to leave you with a question that we all have to ask ourselves. Do I resemble Jesus? Do I resemble him? Do I look like him? Because, because that's the, the concept. He's like, this is worship. This is what it looks like. And he wasn't talking about the physical form. That's not what I'm saying. Do I look like Jesus? But in my heart, my heart of worship, do I resemble him? Am I willing to give up everything that I consider valuable? Am I willing to suffer Because of my passion for the one who showed his passion for me. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>